Uh, he is here, and uh, you can catch him. And if you haven't had the F FCC class, we offer it once a month, and we'll be telling you about that date coming up pretty soon on next month. But uh, so you want to get, get that class and take that class in. Uh, this morning, we're, if you're newer with us this morning, we're continuing with the Book of Romans, and we're looking at that. But before we get into the Book of Romans, I have a little film clip here uh, to show you. Uh, for some of you, you may have gone to this movie. Maybe you haven't, but, but maybe you've seen this, or maybe you've read the book. So we'll run that film clip right now and take a look at that. B, we can't be married. I must never see you. You don't know what you... Harry, what's happened? Look at me. Just that, just that. That's all I can tell you. But why? What? Well, you've always said that there's nothing we couldn't discuss. Nothing secret between you and me ever. Don't ask me anymore, please. If you don't believe me, believe me now. If you ever trust, trust me now. It's for your happiness and mine, believe me. That's all I can say. Oh, my darling. Oh, B, don't ask me anymore. Don't try to understand. Just take my word. Now, please go. This is so wrong of me. To make you go through all of this. You're trying not to hurt me, aren't you? Harry. Harry, it's, it's all right. If you don't love me anymore. I know things like that can happen. Oh, you do. You still do. What is it, dearest? Baby, darling. No, shh. Don't say anymore. Just hold me close.
Well, it is the season. I suspect not too many of you have seen that movie in 1941. Here today, anyway. That movie is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And uh, written by Robert Louis Stevenson in about 1860. It was his first major literary contribution in 1860, and get this, within a short period of time, just within weeks, it sold 40,000 editions, and that was before cell phones. <laughs> Can you imagine? That was word of mouth. It was for computers, in case some of you didn't realize that in 1860. You've heard that joke, haven't you, that the old, the people in heaven can recognize the new arrivals right away because they're all walking around like this. <laughs> and the interesting thing for Robert Louis Stevenson, who was born to an affluent family, um, uh, he was a sickly child all his life, died at 43 years old. Some of his other f better known books, maybe, than, than Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was Kidnap, which is really a great book, and of course, uh, Treasure Island. And for a boy that was sick, mostly in bed, those are great adventures. But he had a nurse that constantly read him Bible stories, and a grandfather that was a minister. And so he had that biblical background, and that biblical background is part of comes out here in this, in the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And, uh, uh, and, and during his lifetime, he was asked, because he was a very popular writer at this time, uh, where did you get this idea about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? And he said, well, I got that idea from my own personal life. How would you like to counsel that couple? But maybe you know that couple better than you'd like to admit. This text that we're looking at today in the book of Romans is a rather conflicting text. It's a startling text. It's an upsetting text for a lot of theologians. But yet it's still there in the Bible. And John left off last week in our study of Romans at verse uh, uh, 14, actually verse 13. And today my assignment was picking up from verse 14 of chapter 7. Now, as you go through the book of Romans, and what we've checked, taken in so far, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6... Well, we've taken in there in the book of Romans, if you had a big chart here for an outline, you've had all the world is in conflict and in sin and in turmoil in one and two and three. Four, he introduces the way that we get through this is going to have a faith relationship, exemplified by Abraham in, in an illustrative story. 
And then fifth, that faith can be contacted by relationship only through Jesus Christ. And sixth, that we engage that relationship in Jesus Christ through confession of faith and baptism to Christ, buried into Christ, to be raised with Christ. And then we finish chapter six because six, seven, and eight are a, are a, are a grouping together. Because in chapter 7, it's then after this relationship with Christ has been established. And then we can read there and as Paul begins to open up that 7th verse, verse 14 of the 7th chapter. He says, now that we've experienced it, we sang songs this morning about being in the grace of Christ. And being in His love and being in His grace. And then verse 14, Paul rolls this out to us. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And when they asked uh, 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 Stevenson, uh, where did you get that? He says, because I got it for myself, because I understand I have a good nature and a bad nature. I have an old man and a new and a new man that works within me. And so he works with this theme throughout that whole thing of the conflicting of natures in this. Now this is a tragic story, actually ends up very badly for Dr. Jekyll and also Mr. Hyde because they are one of the same and they both self-destruct each other. So what the Bible is talking about here in the seventh chapter is extremely important for all the Jekylls and Hydes in the room. Because it's very important for us to come to terms with understanding old and new nature. So we're going to take a look at a couple of slides here this morning and go through this. And this first slide here under new nature of the, is, comes from Ephesians 4, 17 through 14. Now, so I'm going to, I'm going to set up this new, old new, new nature thing so we get into that before we jump into more details in chapter 7 here. But, the, but Paul talks about in the fourth chapter of, the, of Ephesians, and he's talking to people that are Christians, but he's also challenging them to step up to the plate. So part of it is, so I tell you this, that in, I, and insist on it in the Lord. Now, might notice, don't miss the word insist on it in the Lord. He says, I'm emphasizing that you get this. Don't miss, don't miss this emphasis that he's given here. He says, I want you to get this. Don't let this slip through your hands, because it's going to come to play more in chapter 7 of Romans. Insist on this in the Lord, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So now we've got a little bit. It's not where in Jekyll and Hyde he took a potion because the doctor was thinking he could transform himself to, to, to in his, inner, his inner being. But there's a, there is a potion here, and the potion, we're going to try to discover what that potion is, what that me medicine, that medication is. So what he talks about here is uh, thinking the dark, says they are darkened understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, and he says, due to the hardening of their heart. And the hardening of the heart here, hardening is the word, petrification of the heart. And basically what, he, what he's saying here is, I insist that you make a decision on this. I insist, and, and now when you insist that you, when he's insisting that you do something, there's an expectation that it's possible for us to understand this. It is, it is not some gooey, moomy thing out there. It's not some spooky thing. It is a, it's a decision of life that you make. So he's insisting on this. And he says, but the Gentiles decided to blow their life because they had a hard heart. 
and the hardened, and also this word of hardening here, it also comes through as it's, it could be called callousness. They've just allowed their heart to be callous. They just stepped away. They, they just started living a sloppy life spiritually and not responding to God's call on their heart and in their life. So they get sloppy with it and they start backing away from, from a righteous life. Now, the, by using this term Gentiles, remember in the Roman church, a little bit later, we've got a mix of Jews and Gentiles all coming together in there. So Paul is saying that having lost all sensitivity, so the more calloused you get, <laughs> the more insensitive you can become. So it is a, it's something that we can do to ourselves. They have given themselves over to sensuality so to indulge in every kind of impurity and continual lust for more. The next slide. You, however, so now he's doing a contrast. He says, I insist, but you need to live differently. And we, we get this idea, well, the devil made me do it. Or something made me do it. Or my, it was my father's problem. You know. But who, he says, but you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him, were taught in him and Jesus. Now, the emphasis here is, how do you have the walk that you want to walk and have a successful walk with Christ? You have to make a decision to have a sensitivity to wanting to make this new direction in your life. There is, a, there is and, and, and boy, you get into this idea here, how Calvinism floats into this and how that, but there is a responsibility that comes out in these verses of Scripture that Paul is calling. He's saying, I know you can do this. And but he goes on to say, you surely have heard and were taught in him. Being heard and taught in Jesus. See, the thing is, your responsibility here increases because you're sitting here and you're listening. There's a responsibility here. So you are taught regard to the formal way of life. Put off your old self. Here again is the old nature and the new nature. In the book of Ephesians, which is an earlier book than Romans, and he says, corrupt and deceitful desires to be made in a new attitude of your minds and put on a new self. You know, you've heard the idea of, well, you know, what's your attitude or what's your altitude? You make a decision of how you're going to live and how you're going to think. Which also means that's, that's the same. We need to have that in, in our lives so that we know when we raise our children, that it's not just, just let loose. But there is something to know and learn and understand. And there's a direction. There's a right. There's a wrong. There's a standard in which to live by. And we make that decision. Now, that's a, I realize, because as, as you chuckled in that clip there, especially on uh, Delanda Turner's, uh, her, her, her spirit toward her husband there. You know, we, we, those are roles we don't see anymore played like that. That would almost be dastardly for a woman to play a role like that today. But we, but we see that there, and, and, but our, 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 in, in this, but, but we made new in the attitude of your mind, so we, we change our mind, we change our thinking, and we put on a new self created in God in true likeness and holiness. So it, it comes through, the whole person comes through, we change this, our contrast that, and uh, this verse here, new life, new, new self, uh, if you go back into some old records and ancient studies and you see the early church 
And we used to do this a little bit more. We don't do it as much anymore in the church. And the more in the church, we, we, when we do baptisms, we often baptize people in street clothing. We often baptize people just in a t-shirt and, and, sh- and shorts. But it used to be when you got to be baptized, you changed your clothes into a white robe and were baptized. And uh, it, it, was, it was showing transformation and change there. Uh, but but he, what he's emphasized here is when you come to Christ, you are, Paul says, I insist and expect it. And, and you should be learning this in your spiritual walk with Christ, that you express yourself differently. You live differently. Well, it's, it's sort of like maybe an illustration. If you were in prison and you were wearing prison jumpsuit, when you got out of prison, would your job, first job interview be in your prison jumpsuit or would you get rid of that? How many would get rid of your prison jumpsuit? And that's what Paul is saying. It. Well, if, he says, because if you're in Christ, there is an expectation of a different way of thinking and a different way of living. It's just, it's just there. That doesn't mean, well, you're trying to control me. You're trying to tell me. No, I'm trying to tell you that Paul is saying there is a new nature. That is to be lived out. And it, may, it, it needs to be expressed in, in volumes of different ways, but it's, to be, but it's to be seen. It's to be observable, at least within you and at least with outside there. You put, you put on a new nature and, and step forward with, with that new nature. And uh, there's a next slide here. Um, this is a great little thought by uh, Emerson, and, and I think it really captures a lot of things here. So a thought, reap a habit. So a habit, reap an action. So an action, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. Don't blow off the little things. Don't blow off how you think. Man, we are, there's not one person in this room that does not know if you start thinking, stinking, thinking, it's not too long after that you start talking, stinking. And then when you start talking, then you start acting. And when you start acting, then you start a habit. And when you start a habit, that's who you are. It just comes, it leeches into us. And we are in enemy territory. And we have to be on our guard. All right, so we go back now to Romans, the seventh chapter. And, and we want to look at here uh, in this. I'm going, to, I'm going to take the same section of verses, the next slide, the same section of verses, and starting here is, uh, uh, give me one more couple through here. All right, so we're going to look at the description, description of the struggling Christian from Romans 7. Let me read a little bit here. We know that we are, Romans 7, 14, the law is spiritual, but I am a spiritual soul under slavery to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, but I hate what I have. I hate what I do. Now, back up one. Okay. In this section of Scripture, in this Romans 7, 14 to 25, uh, it, it, it is amazing how many times the word I is used in this section of Scripture. 
In this section of scripture, I is used 27 times in 12 verses. And me is used six times. And myself is used two times. Now, in, in the evidence of a Christian struggling, a struggling Christian, evidence of a struggling Christian is about I, me. It's not the mother-in-law. It's not the wife. It's not the husband. It's not the teacher. It's not the preacher. I am in my, uh, I am my worst enemy. It has to, the joy that I'm looking for, the hope that I want, begins within me. It's not dependent on somebody else. As miserable as other, some relationships can contribute to a person's life, there has to be a healthy understanding starting with you first. And, and really, wouldn't it be great And those relationships that we can always come up with, that it starts with, we, we start out fresh dealing with ourselves. So part of it here is, is we, gotta, we have to get out of our own way and understand, it's, I got I to gotta face up to this. I got to deal with that. Okay, next, next evidence here is confusion. I don't understand what I do for what I want to do, I end up doing. Now remember the context here. This is the seventh chapter of, 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 of Romans, and what Paul is saying, they've, you've come to acceptance of Christ, you've confessed Christ, you've been baptized into Christ by grace. The sixth chapter says, by grace, you've been freed from sin. But Paul is saying, I struggle with this. I'm still a, a, but he says, I don't understand what I do, for I want to do, I end up doing. He's just saying, now, the word here, understand, give you a little clue on this. That's probably not the best English word there. The best word there is approval. Or uh, maybe another word would be uh, condone. He says, I, I, I don't condone what I'm doing. Have you ever been in that situation? Where you said something and did something? Have you ever said this after you said something that you knew you shouldn't have said? I didn't really mean that. I didn't really mean that. And then someone else said to you, well, you said it. And yet in order to say it, you had to think it. So you did mean it. Well, I don't know about you, but I've been there and I thought, yeah, I did say it. But when I said it, now that I've said it, I don't really approve of that. I, I wouldn't have said it. That's, it, 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 it wasn't where I, I have a problem here. I, I, am, I have a problem because, uh, you know, I, I, am, I am confused. This is not where I wanted to go in this relationship. This is not what I wanted to go between us on this. Then he brings up another thing here on the next slide. He says, I'm frustrated. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me and within me. Now, this, this is a complex little section here. Because the sin here is not just sin against the law. Because if you read back in the chapter, first chapter of Romans, he says there's a divine message that God has given to all the world, whether you were Jew or not, and didn't even have the law. There is a thing in your gut, and even the Gentiles knew. There were things that said, this is not the right thing. 
But he says, what I find out, this dwells within me. This is the Dr. Jekyll here, and Mr. Hyde dwells in me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, uh, in my flesh, for I have desired to do what is right, but not ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. This is getting to be a deep hole here. Okay. And then uh, I'm in a losing battle. So I find to be the law when I want to do right. Evil lies close to my hand, for I delight in the law of God for the inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and make me captive to the law of sin that dwells with me. He just says, I just can't seem to get ahead of this. It, I just, it's the same problem just keeps coming up again and I keep hitting my head against a brick wall and it's there again. And I'm struggling with it and I'm struggling with it. It's like picking up a dead bird and throwing it up in the sky and think it's going to fly. No, it doesn't work. I just keep trying. It's not happening. And then finally, the really hard-hitting statement he makes is the next one. He says, I feel trapped. Wretched man, miserable man. And the word here is really exhausted man. Ever be that way? I'm just worn out trying to get ahead of this problem or get ahead of me or get ahead of the situation or get ahead of my attitude and get ahead of the way I respond. Because it just seems like what I don't want to do just keeps coming up again and I keep putting open mouth and a certain foot. So what do I do there? He says, wretched man, I am miserable. It's not working for me. It's a downward spiral. Now, if you have your Bibles there, from verse 14 to the first part of the chapter, 7, all those verbs are past tense. And from 14 to the end of the chapter, they're all present tense. Paul is saying, right now, right now, in my life, as an apostle, in the grace of Christ, I have these battles. Ought to make us, all of us pretty good. I've had other people say, I really like Paul wrote that chapter. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> I feel like now, now God, you got it. Now if we understand me. I mean, Willie ought to understand right away. If he's working with me, now you know, Willie, what's wrong with me? And I know what's wrong with Willie. That's what we all are. So what does a healthy-looking Christian life look like? Next slide. A realistic Christian. I do not understand my own actions. I'm going to go right back to the same section. And get some answers for the dilemma. One, I admit when uh, admit when confused. I don't have to strut around and say, "Man, I got my, I got it cornered, market cornered. I know everything. That's why I come to church, because I've arrived." <laughs> we don't have to go there. It's all right not to know. It's all right to face these struggles. It's all right to deal with it. 
if you listen to that crazy little clip a little bit earlier, when Spencer Tracy, when she pleaded with him something or other, I couldn't quite make out, he says, it's all right, I understand what I'm doing. No, he didn't. But he didn't admit it. Another thing that a realistic Christian does is that he accepts imperfections. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Uh, that, that we have problems. It, it's an interesting study, or research on a, on a popular figure, is Michael Jordan. And many of you realize Michael Jordan, if you follow in the National Basketball Association, it was Michael Jordan is considered one of the great basketball players of all time. Air Jordan. Looked like his feet left the floor at the free throw line and sailed up to the basket. Then after his retirement, he decided to pick up, he was going to play baseball. That's what his dad always wanted him to do. Michael Jordan went to a minor league club and started playing baseball. And he discovered something. He was not a very good baseball player. In fact, he was such a bad baseball player, uh, and he realized two hours before practice, he was there two hours early because he realized he needed more practice than the rest of the team. He came to terms with his imperfections. And he, and he kept practicing. And when we talk about imperfections, here's an interesting discussion that comes up in the scriptures. Some people read the Paul and say, Paul is so self-centered and arrogant, he's so bold and confident. Well, they didn't read chapter 7 of Romans. Or they needed to read Philippians where Paul said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can do this. I can live this Christian life. I can get this done. I don't have to be a punching bag. But it has to come with imperfections. Next one here has to come to terms with failure. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want to do will keep doing. I do not want it. It is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. Okay. Let's just make somebody a coach. Mark will make you a coach this morning. You're a big NBA coach. I have a person that I'd like for you to consider hiring on your team. Here's some of his history. He's missed over 9,000 shots. He has a loss record of over 300 games lost. And at a critical moment in the game, he had 27 opportunities to make the winning last shot and missed. Who is he? Michael Jordan. Reporters came to Michael Jordan and said, did you really miss that many shots? And Michael Jordan responded, I don't know. 
don't know. He didn't dwell on the failure. But he kept moving forward. Paul didn't dwell on the failure. Christians, we know we all falter, we fail, we stumble. We make bad decisions, we goof. And it's not what we intended. We understand that. But don't lie there. Get up. I've read that Babe Ruth had the highest strikeout record of any batter. But you've got to swing. Christians, you've got to get in the game and you've got to function. You've got to do. You've got to serve. If you want to walk the realistic, successful Christian walk, confess your struggles to God. For I delight in the law of inner being, but I see in my members another waging war against me. Interesting, he changes this to war battle. And he says, to making me captive the law of sin that dwells in my members. Confess your struggles with God. Yeah, here's the thing. We know, we've watched our culture. Over a million overdoses a year. Over 21 million people, some kind of a secondary addictive lifestyle. Addiction. And increasing. We know that we can have CR groups, we can have, we can have AA, we can have different support groups and talk groups and this, but you need to understand what you're going to talk about. Be able to understand and come to terms, it's not about somebody else, but it's about me. And it's about my relationship that God expects me to be able to accomplish this. Yes, there is support in saying it to someone else, but I would like to encourage you to learn to be able to say to God, I want to talk to you, God, about my struggles. Now, it's not like he's going to say, oh, really? Surprise me. He says, yeah, I'm glad we're talking now. And that's what we say in these groups. It's good to talk it out. Yeah, we'll start with God. And the last thought here from this section of the text is, Trust in a relationship with Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here's a little tricky piece of this section of Scripture. He does say here, I myself, back to himself, I serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. And kind of the wrap up here, I agree in the law of God is the mirror of truth that shows me my ugliness. But not only does God's truth tell me my ugliness, whether I ever, and he's talking to the Roman church here, and I have spoken to a lot of people in the moment of crisis and deep, deep struggle that never knew one verse in the scripture, but they knew they were not in line with right and truth. That's what Paul's saying here. Covered both ways. I'm a screw up. 
I mess up. Big time. I don't please God's truth. I don't even please my own truth. I'm inconsistent. But the key part of their front part of their but thanks be to God, because he says, what wretched man I am, who shall save me? Because the preacher can't do it. The wife can't do it. The husband can't do it. The father can't do it. The mother can't do it. The kid can't do it. Only out, this is an outside deal here. That's the whole Christian message. It's an outside deal. Someone has to step into your life from the outside that is superior to anybody that you know. And everybody I know are losers, right? Everybody is in this same struggle right here. That's why we get so ticked off at each other. Who are you to tell me? Because you're a screw up too, and I know it, I see it. Oh, you do that. Even though that person is telling you something truthful, you say, I'm going to listen to you, even though it's right, because you're a screw up. We've got to get outside that. We've got to get outside. So, and so Jesus is that person outside us. Now, here's a, here's a big shocker here on this. In this section of Scripture, where are my notes here? I can't do them. But when you get to chapter 8, from chapter 1 to chapter 8, the word spirit Five times. Open up chapter 8. Chapter 8. 20 sometimes. Whatever you do, folks, don't stop with this seventh chapter. Read 8. It's the paycheck. Because it says in the 8th chapter, there were good people that God worked on and were repentant in the Old Testament. But chapter 8 says, Christians, you've got a new, better deal. You've got Christ in you through the Spirit working in you. Now, I struggled all week with trying to come up with a wrap-up on this. What can I say to you today that you can walk out of here facing this struggle that we all face in the weakness of our flesh. And by the way, this word flesh is constant throughout this seventh chapter. Paul's saying, what miserable man who can separate in my own flesh. He says, there's an earthness of me that keeps drawing me back no matter how much I want to better walk with Christ. I keep feeling it. And the scripture says we'll probably continue to feel that until the day we shed these fleshly temples and walk spiritually. But what do we do here? In that eighth chapter, when he introduces the spirit relationship with Christ, throughout the whole book of Romans, and John's been pointing this out, we've been going through this now for months, it's not the law that's going to make our lives right by keeping law. 
or your own personal standards, wherever they may be. It's not going to work because you don't even keep your own personal standards consistently. It's not going to be by resolutions. And you know good and well it's not going to be by willpower. Piece of pie can beat us on that one. It's not going to be by willpower. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to get some sweet victory? How are we going to get out of the wretched man that I am? And on this journey. Scripture says it's going to be in relationship with Christ. Underscore relationship with Christ. In the book of Revelation, the last, next to the last chapter, there's a summation there that's a promise to us that on that day we shall stand in the streets of the new Jerusalem and God will be in, in on his throne and we will be with other brothers and sisters in Christ We'll be dressed in white robes that he, he will give us for the wedding feast of the Lamb because we are the bride of the husband Christ at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And then I got thinking about that. that what that says is, is the same thing, the same thing the scriptures talk about, about relationship with Christ. Now I know, I get this, folks, I get this, I get the law. Marriage in our country is about 50 50 successful. When I drive to Pacta Cemetery, when I walk into the cemetery, and I walk up to a little town in southern Kansas, and I walk up to that cemetery, there's Marjorie Hannaford and Harold Hannaford. Brother, did they have a tough life together? My grandparents got married on the 4th of July, 1904, I think. They got married on the 4th because that's the only day they had off. Next day they went to work, so their honeymoon was short. 50 plus years. Charles and Edna side by side. Way I make it? Yeah, it's Jesus. But I have a Jenny. But I also have a mark. And a Kathy. And a Janice. And a Paul. This is a church building. But you are the church. You are the ones that are going to make this walk through this life work best. Because as you are in relationship with Jesus, we are in relationship with each other. And on that day, we shall stand together, even though we struggle in this fleshly, earthly battle. 
James Dobson once said that at a family dinner, they were talking about eternity and heaven. You know how families would get together at a parade or the zoo or something or some big place there's masses of people you say to your kids, okay, look, if we get separated, you see that big statue right there? You go there and I'll meet you there if you get separated. James Dobson said, okay, when we all get to heaven, we're going to meet you at the Eastern Gate. We'll meet there together as a family. We're going to meet together as a family, First Christian Church. Because we're going to help each other walk the walk and talk the talk and live the life. And we're not going to fold our tents and quit. Just because it gets rough or we falter and fail or we stick our stupid foot in our stupid mouths or because we get a selfish twin and we just grab everything and say it's all about me. We're not going to let that happen to us. We're going to have a relationship with the teachings of Jesus that Apostle Paul says, I insist on it. You live this way. You teach this way. You walk this way. And help me walk it too as I help you. And that will reduce the miserableness of this walk, of this life when we do our stupid things. We're in this together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, it is so easy for us to just get wrapped around this, this difficult walk in this life with Christ, with you, Lord. We, we easily, when we stumble, Lord, we want to point fingers at somebody else. And, and Lord, so many times we just quit. God, help us. Speak to our spirits this morning as you have given them to us to speak to you that we recommit and renew our faith and our enthusiasm, Father, for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this song together.